Okay, would you find in your Bible uh, the book of Ephesians? We have made it to Ephesians chapter 2. We did it, guys. We studied one whole chapter of one book of the Bible. Maybe that wasn't as exciting by the time I got to the end of that sentence, but uh, we are continuing this series. Our intention, just to remind you, is to go through the first three chapters of this book before we hit the holiday season, and then we're going to pick up the second half of this book uh, called Ephesians uh, in the new year. Now, you'll remember that Ephesians was a book that was written, it was a letter actually written to a group of Christians in Ephesus, a city at that time. It was a very popular city, very worldly city. And Paul wanted to encourage these people to remember who they are in Christ. And then he wanted to challenge them to live godly lives in this world that was trying to pull them away into all kinds of other ways of living, which sounds a lot like living in America in 2021. So it's very relevant for us to study uh, today. Now, I just want to tell you that today I'm going to start my sermon at the end of my sermon. But before we get to that, uh, I want to ask you a question. What is your favorite song right now? Now, don't be all spiritual and be like, that's that last worship song that we just did is my favorite. I mean, unless you went to go see Maverick City at Grace Fest last night and you are just jamming on some Maverick City right now, and that is actually your favorite song, cool. While you're thinking of what your favorite song is and why you are in love with that song right now, let me just share with you how my family answered this question. Hannah, who is our 14-year-old freshman in high school, she's digging on some Justin Bieber right now. She says her favorite song is Anyone because it's got a good groove. And she is working on her homecoming dance, dance moves right now. She's practicing them at home. She does not want any of you to see them, but she is working on them. Uh, And she just loves a good song with a good beat. Sayla, our younger daughter, who just started middle school, she likes Ben Rector. He wrote a song called 30,000 Feet, and it's about this guy who uh, has just enjoyed his life through all kinds of different things. And in the chorus, she just loves the chorus because he says, through everything that I've been through, I still came out okay, even in through all the highs and the lows. So she just loves a good, feel-good Ben Rector song. Sharon asked me to uh, tell you not to judge her for this um, and to make sure specifically that when I tell you that her current favorite song is Satellite by Sarah Bareilles, uh, that it's the Hollywood Bowl version. Don't give me some of that studio junk. Give me the Hollywood Bowl version of this song, Satellite. Uh, there's a there's a unique bridge kind of breakdown that she does, uh, and and this song is actually just a beautiful song that is is really speaking encouragement to anybody who's feeling alone. So uh, if you need to just uh, pick me up because you're feeling kind of lonely right now, go listen to some uh, Satellite by Sarah Bareilles. Um, those are some favorite songs uh, in the Lee household right now. Just curious, anybody anybody got a favorite song they can shout out for me right now? What's my favorite song? Well, I was going to say uh, The Way You Look Tonight is, is my favorite song because that, that was our favorite song when we were dating, babe. Um, but I got to be honest with you. My favorite song right now is Lost in the Woods, the, the Weezer version um, from Frozen, Frozen 2. Um, and I'm not even a little bit ashamed about that. So this is going to go out onto the internet. That everyone's going to know forever and ever that as of right now, that's my, that's my current favorite song. Anyway, what's, what's, your, what's your favorite song? Somebody shout out a favorite song. Mosh Pit? Who are you? Worship in the Mosh Pit? Who's that song by? 
by K, of course it's by KB. Of course Marcus's favorite song is by KB. Uh, I, I do like KB. It's got a good podcast too, by the way. Any other favorite songs? You guys don't like music at Life Church? What's your favorite 80s song? Just Wanna Dance With Somebody? All right, I, I mean, I, I could get down with that. Yeah, I love 80s music, good. Any other favorite songs? Anybody, anybody uh, a little bit more seasoned saints in the room love some 70s music? I mean, I referenced the way you look tonight, so don't feel bad about your 80s music. You guys are going to leave me hanging? Oh, let's hear it. I did it my way by Frank Sinatra. All right. I think we might have to land the plane at, like, the king right there, right? At Frank Sinatra, I did it my way. Hey, we'll be praying for your soul. Um, yeah. <laughs> You know, I love, I actually love this kind of conversation. I, I love to hear the kind of art that people love, right? I, I love to hear all of the different nuances and ways and reasons that people have for why they love, specifically the music that they love. I grew up as a punk rock kid. I was in a, in a really terrible punk rock band when I was in high school. In fact, our our esteemed worship pastor, Pastor Danny, who's up here leading us into the presence of the Lord and in, in uh, Pentecostal righteous worship was in my punk band with me when we were in high school. Um, and we wrote some terrible songs. We were, we were into, the, into that you know, early 2000s pop punk music. Here's why we loved this kind of music though, because it made us feel something, right? This is, this is what music does for us. This is what art does for us. And, and a good songwriter has the ability to create a piece of art that is designed to make us actually feel something. Now, uh, I, I'm going to say something that I submit to you with all humility, but in one of my, some of my pastime, I, as a hobby that I, I don't attest to be great at, I still dabble in some songwriting, and I, I've written a few songs in my time. Uh, one or two worship songs that I, we have been able to do here at the church have, have been a blessing to be able to be a part of writing some worship songs. I still will write a, a punk song every now and then that no one will ever hear. Um, but I wrote these two songs that I was thinking of, actually, as I was thinking about the idea of being an artist who creates something with an intention. And I can tell you two stories about that from my own personal experience. Uh, this, this last February, this February, I was talking to our older daughter, Hannah, the one who's into Justin Bieber right now. And she was saying to me, for mom's birthday, Sharon's birthday is February 20th, and if anybody wants to mark that on their calendar, um, for, for mom's birthday, what I want to do, this is Hannah saying this to me, what I want to do is write a song. Will you help me write a song for mom for her birthday, but it has to be a complete surprise. So we wrote this song, and the family, our family motto in our house is let's keep walking. We just tell each other this all the time when we're going through a, a rough patch, which was, you know, every day in 2020, we would look at each other and we would say, let's keep walking because we've got hope in Jesus. There's all kinds of narrative and story behind that. And so Hannah and I set out to write this song called Let's Keep Walking. And what we wanted to do, Hannah said, I want to write a song that says back to my mom what a gift she is to encourage me that no matter what happens in life that we would keep walking. And so we wrote this song really about Sharon for Sharon. And I got to tell you, I had one goal in mind. Hannah had all these desires and all these goals. I had one goal, one intention for this song was that when Sharon heard it for the first time on her birthday, she would cry. <laughs> she said, that's easy. But 
Uh, mission accomplished, just so you know. We achieved the mission. Hannah wrote this beautiful song uh, that I got to be a part of helping to frame it. Hannah put all of the words and the meaning into it. And we wrote this song, and mission accomplished. It did the intention that, that we set out for it to do. There was another time that I had gone on a road trip with my brother who lives in Maryland and my dad who lives in Scotland had flown over to Maryland and we were gonna drive out to a beach house and stay on the East Coast for like four days at a beach house. And so I flew out there and it was my brother and his family and myself and my dad and, and my stepmom and we were all together and then a hurricane started to come because East Coast, they have hurricanes. We have earthquakes, they have hurricanes. And so we were out there trying to figure out how are we going to do this vacation. So this four days at a beach house suddenly turned into a road trip trying to get from my brother's house to the beach house two states away on the coast. And it took us the whole four days to get to the beach house. But what ended up happening was I spent the better part of four days in a car with my dad, whom up until that point, we just had not had that great of a relationship. My dad and I had a very rocky relationship when I was younger. Some things had been reconciled, but we just hadn't had any kind of way to connect and like build a new relationship. And so I was struck when I came home that what I wanted to do was write a song to represent what it felt like as a grown man to meet my own father like all over again. And, and I was struck by the fact that how much we look alike, you could superimpo superimpose uh, my face onto his 19-year-old body uh, when I was 19. We look exactly the same. There's a picture of him when he was in a band when he was 19, and it terrified me when I saw it because he had a big old afro. Um, and <laughs> maybe I was a little jealous. But, um, but, but it's funny because I look at my dad, I listen to my dad, and short of the accent that he's got because he is from England and lives in Scotland, short of his accent, I sound like my dad. Like we laugh the same. I look at him and I go, that's what I'm gonna look like in a few years, right? It's wild. And so I wrote this song and I, I called the song Road Trips and Hurricanes and I sent it to my dad, I recorded it, and I sent it to my dad for Father's Day for that year. And my one intention was that he would know that I had had this wonderful experience and that it, it was meaningful to me to meet him for the first time all over again. And so I sent it to him and it, you know what? It sparked something. It was almost like, it, it was like sending him a hug saying thanks for all that time in the car that we had. So as an artist, I was able to, as a son, communicate something and mission accomplished. It did what I set out to do. That's, that's why I love looking at, back at those songs. In fact, those are a couple songs that when I pick up my guitar, they go to play those songs because they bring back all of those feelings even as the guy that wrote them. Now, I'm telling you all of this because I think that if we were to ask God, God, what is your favorite song? That he would come up with the absolute most romantic, powerful, wonderful, brilliant response. And I think that it, you can find it in the end of our text as we study Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10 today. Let me read to you in the New Living Translation what Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the things he planned for us long ago. God created you with an intention, 
like an artist creates a piece of art, it is designed with an intention in mind to do something. Right? When, I, when I wrote these couple of songs, when you think of your 80s music that you love or that Frank Sinatra song that you get down with after all these years, you think the artist wrote that song with an intention. And when you partake in that piece of art and it makes you feel something, you're very much enjoying the intention of the artist. And this is what God would say about you. When I created your life, I gave you a purpose. I gave you an intention. I had a thought in mind about you when I set out to create you in your mother's womb before you were even born. When I wrote out the design for your life, I had a masterpiece of a song in mind. And my hope is that your life would sing out that masterpiece. That it would be like a song sung in the perfect key where every note is hit perfectly. But the problem is we are so utterly human and we are not great artists like the artist who created us. And too often, in fact, I would say every single time, we spend at least a chunk of our lives, and for some of us, all of our lives, singing the wrong song or singing the song that God intended for us to sing with our lives the wrong way. Paul is writing to his friends in Ephesus who have given their lives to the way of Jesus. They are what he calls faithful saints. They are, you might argue, they are trying their best to sing the song of their lives the way the artist intended it. So that God would look at them and say, you, you're doing it. You're the masterpiece that I intended for your lives right now in this season in the world, but Paul is telling them, I, I want to take you through a journey for the next few moments as you read these words. Paul is saying, as you read what I wrote, what I want you to understand is that you didn't have your song in the right key all the time. In fact, there was a time when, when you, you weren't even playing the instrument at all. In fact, there was a time where no one even knew that there was a song. Your life was so torn apart that it was just a jumble of noise. And every time that God would hear it, he would be heartbroken because you, there was a moment where you were not communicating the intention of the artist. So I want you to think about that today as we go back to the beginning of Ephesians chapter 2 and we begin to listen to how Paul starts off this journey by, by taking us back to where all of our songs began. And Paul tells us what we used to be in Ephesians chapter 2. Starting in verse 1, he says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the age, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously, all of us previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. And we were by nature children under wrath as the others were also. Paul is saying this is where our story began. This is where all of our stories begin. We are dead, but interestingly enough, very active in our deadness. I wonder if the person who first thought of zombies read this passage. People who are dead, but weirdly very active. And, and what kind of activity, we ask? Well, Paul says, you were active in your deadness in sin, 
which means to miss the mark. We sin every time we fail to be perfect like God is perfect because he says to us, this is the standard to enter into heaven is perfection. And every time we fail to meet the standard of perfection, we call that missing the mark or we call that sin. Think of like an archer who's trying to hit a bullseye and every time they miss the target, we would call that a sin. And then he says, you were very active in your deadness in something called trespasses. Now, to trespass is to knowingly cross over a boundary into, into a place where you do not belong. To become something that you are not supposed to be, but you know full well what you are doing. This is a trespass. We trespass against God when we deliberately disobey God or when we purposely choose to live in a way that dishonors him. So Paul says all of this started our song out as being people who were dead in sin and trespass. And again, this is the state of every single person from the moment that we are born. Paul writes to the, the Christians in Rome. In Romans 5.12, he says, When Adam sinned, then sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone for everyone sinned. So every single human being who has ever lived was born into a world that is full of sin, and our activity leads us to be spiritually dead. This is why Jesus once said, you need to be born again. You need to be born a second time because you are born physically and you need to be born spiritually. So Paul says we are spiritually dead. Now Paul, by the way, digs down into this in typical great Paul fashion. He, he unpacks his thought, and he actually shows us three ways or three kinds of actions that make us spiritually dead people. The first is he says uh, in verse 2, we are walking in the ways of the world, right? These are the people who live in line with the culture around them, who as the culture changes, they assume that God also changes his mind with the culture. Or if God refuses to change his mind, then I would want nothing to do with a God who doesn't change his mind. Because how unloving is it to hold on to an opinion when the rest of the world says that that opinion isn't very kind anymore? As we pursue being approved by or, or to be popular with the, the culture and the world around us, when we shift our opinions and how we define truth, by the way, this is an exhausting way to live. But Paul says that that's why we say it kills you. You're dead because you spend all of your life running around trying to live according to the world's standards and not trying to honor God's. The second way that he says that we are dead is in the ways that we are submitted to the power of the air. And by the way, Paul makes it very clear who that is in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Satan. He says it like this, Satan, who is the God of the world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. So the devil is the, the power or the ruler of the powers of the air. Paul, what he's actually saying here is that when you walk in the world's ways, you are actually walking in submission to the very enemy of God. So these ideas are linked to walk in the world. You might think you're expressing freedom. You're actually expressing bondage to the devil. And you think that you're free. You think that you're liberated. You think that you have woken up to the real truth of what's really going on here. 
in all of your freedom, in all of your pushing off that, that old man in the sky idea. Paul says a third way is as we live to please our flesh, we prove that we are dead. Uh, Paul actually uh, here covers the defense that many people would have, right? They would, they would go, oh, Tim, I'm not serving the devil. I'm, I'm a good person. Look at my life. Look at all the good stuff that I do. I do all of these things because they make me feel like a good person. This is, this is called humanism, by the way, where you make yourself the God and you decide the standard of what is right and wrong by whether or not the things that you do make you feel like a good person. So the focus here, by the way, is not on the quality of activities that make you feel good. Paul is saying that personal gratification demonstrates that you are not submitted to God's way of living. Let me say that to you again. Paul is expressing to you that if your desire is to gratify the flesh, to make yourself feel good, then you are also simultaneously demonstrating that you are not submitted to the way of Jesus. You cannot be halfway in that conversation. Anything that we do that gratifies the flesh is the way of the world. In fact, Paul actually clarifies this point by telling us the results of living to please the flesh. He says, when we do this, we are children of wrath, just like everyone else. This means that we are living outside of God's covering of love, right? The Bible says that love covers a multitude of sins. And that as a result of being a person who has chosen to live outside of the covering of God's love, one day we will receive exactly what we have asked for, exactly what we have chosen, which is the wrath of God. Paul wrote about it like this in Romans chapter 2. He says, but you, because you are stubborn and refuse to turn from your sin, you are storing up terrible punishment for yourself. For a day is coming when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will judge everyone according to what they have done. He will give eternal life to those who keep on doing good, seeking after the glory and honor and, and immortality that God offers. But he will pour out his anger and wrath on those who live for themselves, who refuse to obey the truth and instead live lives of wickedness. So the good news here is that God offers love and life to anyone who wants to receive it. It's a free gift to anyone who wants to receive it, but outside of Christ, we are choosing death and wrath. This is not God pouring it out on us because he hates us or because he's a mean God, but because we would choose to reject him. And as a result, we find ourselves dead spiritually dead, ultimately eternally dead. The song that God designed for us is not being heard in and through our lives because we are dead. And then Paul continues by telling us, thankfully, God responded to this situation. And we can read about that in Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 4. It says, but God, two of the best words in all of human history, but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us made us alive with Christ even though we were dead in trespasses. You are saved by grace. He also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus. I mean, look at the way God responds to our deadness. 
God responds to our state of being spiritually dead by making us alive in Christ. There is a way to come to life because Jesus died and conquered death and he rose again, his life gets to be gifted to us. That if we would just place our faith in Jesus, we can have the free gift of eternal life. That is good news. That's the gospel. God responds to our submission to the devil by saving us with his grace. We are bound to submission to the ruler of the powers of this age. And he says, let me redeem you and save you out of that so you can be truly, actually free in the name and the love of Jesus. Because Jesus died as a sin-free sacrifice. He was eligible to be the, 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 the sacrifice for our judgment so that all of our judgment came on him instead of coming on us. And all we have to do is place our faith in the name of Jesus and we are saved by grace. Amen. God responds to our wandering and our searching for satisfaction by seating us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus. By the way, not literally yet. We will be seated with Christ Jesus in the heavenly places one day. But Paul puts this in the present tense. We are currently seated. How does that work? Because when we find our identity in Christ, who is seated at the right hand of the Father, then our identity becomes rooted in the one who is seated instead of being lost and wandering. I heard, a, I heard a preacher say just recently, he said, you know, the best translation of the word believe into English would be the word relax. Jesus invites us to relax into the way. Would you, would you stop working so hard? Would you stop wandering? Would you stop trying to earn it? You couldn't if you tried. That's why you ended up dead in the first place. And Jesus says, you know how you come alive in me? You relax into me. Settle down. Stop working so hard. Believe. And then Paul, thankfully, he answers the next question, which is why in the world would God do all of this for a bunch of dead people who had rejected him? And he tells us because he is rich in mercy because of the great love that he had for us. And then we go on into verse 7 of Ephesians chapter 2. It says, so that, here we begin to see the purpose, the intention of the song that God wants our lives to sing, so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For you are, he says it again, you are saved by grace through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. And here's this verse again. For we are his workmanship. One translation says we are his masterpiece. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. Or, or another translation, I believe it's the New King James Version, says God created us beforehand with good works in mind that we would walk in them. That we would walk in the way, relaxed, believing, trusting in God, but that we would walk in the way 
of Jesus and in the good works that God designed for your life to sing. Paul, Paul is writing here about not, not some small goal that God has for himself, not, not just a, a flippant idea that God came up with yesterday or the, the week before he sent Jesus to earth that he's like, oh, you know what, I figured it out. Saving your life is the goal. It has been the goal. It always will be the goal. And that life-saving work is meant to last for eternity. For, for eternity. But it's also meant to begin right now. This should change your today. This should change and impact the way you sing the song of your life immediately. Like a songwriter setting out to communicate a specific intention through his creation. When God began the work of creating us, he had already in mind that he would begin the work of saving us. This is not an idea to fix a problem that surprised him. This was God's plan for your song all along. God always loved you and he always planned to save you. There's a Scottish preacher who lived in the 1800s named Alexander McLaren. He wrote this about God's plan. He says, we cannot speak of motives in the divine mind as in ours. They imply a previous state of, in, of, of indecision and an act of choice from which comes the slow emerging of a resolve like that of the moon from the sea. Like God did not just slowly decide to change our story. McLaren goes on, he says, we can speak of God's motives if only we understand that his is an eternal purpose, which he purposed in himself, which never began to be formed and was not formed by any reason of anything external. God did not wake up one day and decide to love you. He loved you from the beginning. He loved you from before the beginning. We just talked about this a few weeks ago in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. Paul writes, For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. So the answer to the question, why would God do all of this for dead people? Is because he's always loved us with a perfect, unfailing love that will never end. It will never run out. And in his love, he prepared a way for us to be with him. And then I, I believe that what Paul does next is he, he actually reveals three intentions of God's love for us. And we just read it in this passage. I think that the first intention that, that Paul says that God has for us is that God did all of this so that we would have hope for the future. We can have hope because as Paul wrote, God has displayed the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. And God will continue to put that grace on display for all eternity. His grace is immeasurable in its richness. Dallas Willard defined grace this way. He says, grace is not opposed to effort, but to earning. Earning is an attitude. Effort is an action. Grace is not just about forgiveness. If we had never sinned, we would still need grace. Grace is God acting in our life to do what we cannot do on our own. 
Grace is what we live by, and the human system won't work without it. The saint uses grace like a 747 jet burns gas on takeoff. We expend and use the grace of God every single day. Why? Because we're the ones tapping into the bank account of the immeasurable richness of his grace. It takes a small portion of grace for us to be saved. It takes a portion of grace for us to, be, uh, to remain in God's good graces every single day. This is why scripture assures us that his mercy is new every single morning. Because you need it! Thank you that it never runs out. This is why we have hope for the future. Because every single day that we live, there is still immeasurable riches of God's grace that is there for us to draw upon as a free gift. Why? Because God loves you. And the best news about grace is you don't have to earn it. It's free. It's free. It's a gift. Just relax. I think the second thing that Paul reveals here is that God did all of this so that we would be humble. Paul says this in a way in verses 8 through 9. He says, I'll read it to you again. For you are saved by grace through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. Now, remember with me for a second, who is Paul writing to? Christians, the saints in Ephesus, they've been pulled in all kinds of directions, right? but they've remained faithful to Jesus. The, the, the whole point of this section has been to remind us, the whole point of chapter 2 so far has, has been to remind us where we came from, and that they didn't come alive on their own. Have you ever met a rich person who grew up poor but seems to have forgotten where they came from? They act arrogant. They act as if they've never been poor. They suddenly forget how to relate to people who have nothing, and they go, why can't you just figure it out? I sure did. As if they forgot how hard it was. It would be incredible for a Christian to look at a person who's a non-believer and say, why can't you just figure it out? I sure didn't. No, you didn't. You received. That's literally all you did. But it would be good for us to not forget where we came from. I think too often in Pentecostal circles, we, we say, well, we've got Jesus and we've got the Holy Spirit, and so therefore we've got a perfect life. And so let's not say anything negative or let's not speak death in any way. Let's never confess that we've had a hard time because that would be too much of a reminder of where we came from. And Paul goes, yeah, it would be great if you would remember where you came from. All of this forgetting that you're utterly human and desperately in need of grace does you a disservice. Remember where you came from. Remember what it was that God saved you out of. I mean, it's almost like Paul is saying to the church in Ephesus, and he would say to Life Church in 2021, I know you guys are doing amazing, and I know that I said that at the beginning when I praised you for being faithful saints, and I was like, I'm so excited about your faith. I pray for you all the time. Hooray, you. I know I said all of that stuff, but don't let it go to your head. Right? 
Maybe Paul is drawing on the wisdom of Proverbs 3, which says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not rely on your own understanding. In all your ways, know him, and he will make your paths straight. He will make your path straight, not he will show you how to make your path straight. Subtle how we take credit back from God. In verse 7 of Proverbs 3, it says, Don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. This will be healing for your body and strengthening for your bones. Can, 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 I, can I say a side culturally relevant note for a second? Um, the Bible just told us what healing looks like. This will be healing for your body and strength for all your, what will be healing for, all your, for your body? Not being wise in your own eyes, fearing the Lord and turning away from evil. Do you know that when the church runs around saying that it's, you know, I'm going to say a thing real quick. Okay, when we run around and say, um, whew, here we go. When we say I don't need, uh, you know, like science because Jesus is my healing, we're saying a half-truth. Because we've decided that we have figured it out. And that we've figured out the solution, therefore I don't need anybody else's help, I'm just going to say the name of Jesus enough. You know how many people die of cancer claiming the name of Jesus? My mother, who's been in the medical profession before, she was a nurse before she retired, she told me about a woman once, and many stories like this, of people who have come out of churches who have said, I have discovered that if I just say the name of Jesus enough and never admit that I am sick, then I won't die. And my mom told me about a woman who refused to receive treatment for very treatable cancer and claimed the name of Jesus and said, I don't have cancer, and it killed her. And she could have lived. Now, do I know that that was God's plan for her life? I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not smart enough to know that. The Bible says that it's appointed once for a man to be born and once for a man to die. And God gets to determine when those dates are, and I don't. But I sure do wonder what it looks like when we get in the way. When we claim, even in convincing ourselves that we have figured out what true wisdom looks like, and we reject actual wisdom which would be, let me just submit today to do what God has told me to do. Now, just in case any of, you, any of you thought that what I just said was a commentary on coronavirus, I don't know that it was. But what would be great is if we would stop running around as Christians being jerks, telling people that we figured it out because we've got Jesus and we are pushing people away from the kingdom of heaven because we are wise in our own eyes. Here's what, here's what Paul said actually brings health. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. What if we loved the world when they were scared of a global pandemic instead of judging them for not having the faith that we have? Judgment is evil. I wonder how many of us would experience true, actual healing if we would drop the narrative and we would just lean into God's wisdom. No wonder the church has a form of godliness but lacks its power. God forgive us. Let's move on. 
I think that Paul, as he was talking about Proverbs 3, or referencing, maybe drawing on Proverbs 3, as he was encouraging us to be humble people, maybe he was also thinking about what he told the church in Rome in, in, in what we would call the 12th chapter of his letter to the, to the Christians in Rome. In, in Romans 12.3, he says, God's grace has been given to me, so here is what I say to every one of you. Don't think of yourself more highly than you should. Be reasonable when you think about yourself. Keep in mind the faith God has given each of you. In other words, don't forget where you came from. Be humble. In his very first sermon as the senior pastor of Bridgetown Church in Portland, Oregon, Tyler Statton showed uh, his church a piece of art. And so I, I preface what I'm about to share with you because I don't want you to think I am smarter than I am. I, give, I, I take no credit for the brilliance of this illustration that I'm about to share with you. Um, but I want you to look for a moment at a painting that is called The Virgin and the Child. It's by Filippo Lippi. And what's interesting about this painting, it was painted uh, hundreds of years ago, is that for years as this piece of art was hung in a gallery, in the National Gallery in the UK, uh, all kinds of art critics would look at it and they would say, you know, the proportions are all off. The, the hills look like they're going to fall out of the back of the painting and the men kneeling down, they look awkward. It just looks like Lippy forgot all of his art training, all of his proportion training. One of those art critics was a man named Robert Cumming, and he wrote an article that was critical of this piece, and then after it was published, he gained some new information about this piece of art. What he discovered is that the original commissioning of this piece was that it, it was was for a church it was never intended to be hung in a gallery in fact this piece was meant and it was hung for many years at the front of a church where people were meant to take it in from their knees as they prayed at the front of the church and so Robert Cumming went back to the gallery and, and he went in front of this painting and he got down on his knees and from the very first time, for, for the first time, he saw this painting from the perspective that it was meant to be viewed from below. And from a position on his knees, he suddenly realized that all of the proportions were correct, that Mary and Jesus were making proper eye contact, that the two supplicants at the bottom looked normal, and the hills suddenly came into correct proportion. In fact, Robert Cummings says, as I was on my knees, it became a masterpiece. The intention of Filippo Lippi's painting can only be appreciated from a posture of prayer. And the intention of God's master plan can only be appreciated from the same posture. God did all of these things. Paul writes all of these words, not just because he redundantly wants to preach the gospel to the people who have already heard the gospel. He writes all of these words so that we would remember and so that we would stay humble. And I think thirdly, God did all of these things so that we would live on purpose. 
Uh, that phrase is a phrase that you you heard in the video we shared earlier about uh, leader life. It's a it's one of our core values here at this church. That at Life Church we are people who are living on purpose. And Ephesians chapter two verse ten says, "For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus." So we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. And finally, we come full circle. Taken out of context, as unfortunately Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 often is, what we hear is Paul telling us that we are perfect just the way we are. Placed at the end of this thought, at the beginning of what we call chapter 2 of Paul's letter to his friends in Ephesus, Paul's words sound more like a plea. Remember where you came from. Never forget what God did to bring you to life, that you had nothing to do with it except to believe. And please, for the love of the God that saved you, spend your days living to communicate God's intention for, in, and through your life. The theologian Ken Boa, he, he writes, God has entrusted us with certain resources, gifts, and abilities. These things rightfully belong to him. Our responsibility is to live by that trust by managing these things well, according to his design and desire. He goes on to write another implication is that since God owns everything and expects us to manage things according to his plan and purpose, every decision is a spiritual decision. Whether it's buying a new car or going to the movies or how we use our time and our money, it matters a great deal to God. God demands to be in the loop on every investment, on every purpose, and every decision. So Paul is not saying, hey, you're great no matter what. Guys, I just love you so much. Life Church, you're, you go to church on Sundays, just so proud of you. Just keep on singing that song, however it makes you feel good. No, Paul is saying Jesus commissioned you for a purpose. When you live on that purpose, then you are his masterpiece. That's why you were created. That's why he designed you the way that he did. You were meant to be a song that brings praise to God through every note of your life. And that is true for us no matter how educated or uneducated we are, no matter how physically healthy or physically unhealthy we are, no matter how good-looking or how broken our story of origin happens to be. God created you for a purpose. And it also doesn't matter how young or how old, how male or how female, how white or how black or how brown or any other color, how Republican or Democratic you are or how rich or poor you happen to be. None of those things matter. After all, there's no Jew or no Greek, no male or female in the kingdom of heaven. There are just children of God. So what song has your life been singing? Do you remember where you came from?
Last week I offered you a prayer. I invited you to pray it with us every single day. We had posted it on our screens behind me and we posted it on social media every day. And um, I heard some good news, some good reports of some folks who were encouraged by praying this with us every single day. And uh, today I'd like to offer you another prayer. And it goes like this. I'm going to pray this along with you. And I'd like to encourage you again to consider taking a picture, saving it when we post it online later. But this is our prayer as we close this focus on these 10 verses today. We say, God, I confess that I have gone where I do not belong and become what I was never meant to be. But I believe that your gift of grace has made me alive. I will remember what you have saved me from. And I will keep my faith in your son, Jesus. I give up trying to sing my own song. Lead me in your way so my life will look and sound like the masterpiece you designed. I want to invite you to pray this with me every day this week. Let's lean into this practice of prayer this practice of confession and this practice of submission together, that we would come to God to remember where we came from and where he has brought us and ask him to help us to sing a song with our lives that would give him praise and would give him honor. As we commit together to pray that prayer to the Lord, and by the way, before I get out of here, I would just like to say if there's anything that you want to talk about or pray about uh, today, I'm going to ask Marcus and Liz. They're going to go over to one of these prayer walls. I'm going to ask uh, Elizabeth Curtis, who is somewhere in this room right there. She's going to go to the other prayer wall, and they're just going to be available to talk and to pray with you if there's anything you want to talk and pray about uh, today after our service is over. Um, but first, I, I would like to just as we make this commitment to pray a blessing over you. And so as your friend and as your pastor, I pray this blessing. As you walk in the unforced rhythms of grace, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance to you and give you peace. In the grace and in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen.